The following program is paid for by Rudy Wealth Management. Good morning, and welcome to Paul Rudy's On the Money. You're invited to be part of today's show. Call 356-9397. Opinions and views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. And now, Paul Rudy's On the Money. Howdy, this is Paul Rudy with Paul Rudy's On the Money radio show. Come to you the second, fourth Tuesday of every month uh, here on WDWS. Glad to be with you today. I think we'll have a nice show today. We do have uh, Dr. Fred Gertz on the phone. Dr. Fred, do I have you? I'm here, ready to go. Oh, good to go. Change my, uh, just my hearing. Uh, you can call in with your questions at 217-356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line at 351-5357. You can also email your questions to talk at WDWS.com. It's important to recognize that past performance is not an indication of future results. You should not make any investment decisions without first consulting your own financial advisor and conducting your own research and due diligence. Well, good morning, guys. I'm also here with Ryan Ryan Repko. I forgot to announce your presence, Ryan. Good to have you here this morning. Good morning. Glad to be a plus one. Just glad you take. So I hear your kids are coming to my house today for a while. I sure hope so. That's good news. <laughs> yeah, for you. Uh, Fred, um, interest rates have been rising and uh, scaring people a little bit. That's one issue we have to talk about today. But the first one I'd like to hit you with is it looks like Illinois comes out pretty well um, with this COVID package that should get signed today from everything I can tell. Um, I read somewhere, uh, it's an article, Relief Windfall, just move my thing around. Papers over Illinois' governance problems, and it's an article written by Richard Porter, a lawyer in Chicago, and an Illinois' national committeeman to the Republican National Committee. Well, he's going to have his theories, uh, you know, right or wrong, uh, but there probably is some bias either way. Um, it said Illinois governments will receive more than $25 billion directly from the federal government and tens of billions more indirectly from COVID relief bill which is more than 60% of Illinois' annual state budget. That's a pretty big deal. Right. I think what they mean, though, is that the money will go to people in Illinois as well as the state government. The state government is not capturing all that money, but they do get uh, several billion dollars, which will uh, patch up kind of the, the short-term problem this year, which they were hoping to get and, and at some point probably thought they weren't. So, again, it's... Uh, it says it's good news, but it's not uh, that all that money is going to go to the state and the state's going to use it wisely. A lot of it's going to go to individuals and businesses. And part of the, you know, one of the three questions he says, where is the money coming from? And he answers, the federal government will borrow every nickel. Governments that borrow to spend today must repay the debt plus interest out of future tax revenues. Um, you know, that's been one of the criticisms from even people like Larry Summers, uh, who's no conservative of saying, you know, this might not be all that needed, and it certainly has its negative impacts as well from an economic standpoint. Where do you sit on that? Right. Uh, and again, uh, if you go back to 2008, one of the uh, complaints among the uh, Democrats was that the stimulus wasn't aggressive enough, that we should have done more. And now we're hearing uh, a number of people, uh, both Republicans and uh some Democrats saying maybe we're going too far, and uh, until today, uh, that seemed to be reflected in the markets because of um, increasing interest rates and a variety of things. Uh, some uh, downward pressure on the on the stock market, although today is kind of an 
exception to that. So I think that uh, we're on the on the edge here that some people actually are concerned about the uh, possibility of overspending, and there may be some uh, restraint. And I think there there was also some modification of the uh, stimulus bill that didn't, didn't go as far as uh, some people wanted. So I think that uh, we're kind of on the fine edge now. We're kind of pushing it, but probably as far as we want to go. And it may be too far, but uh, a lot of people are saying if we're going to make a mistake, we should err on the side of too much rather than too little. Yeah, he went on to talk about how creating dollars promiscuously devalues the dollar. Uh, and, and, of course, we hear this all the time. Consider this. 20 years ago, Venezuela was the most prosperous nation in South America. Then it adopted policies that debased its own currency. Today, a million Venezuelan boulevards are worth 53 cents. That's that's probably hyperbole, but um, but they're probably, I think there there has been concern even, in you know, when you look at the stock market and what some of the pundits are suggesting that, you know, there could be uh, – you know, a certain amount of uh, pressure on the dollar because of creating so many dollars, but I guess we'll see. Right. I think also uh, we're moving into an area where uh, there may be more being promised and they're able to deliver both of the Treasury and the uh, Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve now is not just talking about maintaining the economy. They're trying to till it towards dealing with uh, inequality issues, things of that sort that that's similar in regard to the um, uh, Treasury with uh, Janet Yellen. And I, I think they have enough to do just to do the, uh, the kind of macro issues as opposed to hoping to be able to uh, fine-tune it in a way that they've uh, never been able to in the past. Well, it certainly seems like the Federal Reserve is more from a full employment economy, you know, to, you know, instead of saying, well, we want 3% inflation and 3% unemployment, We've never really gotten to three percent unemployment, so it seems to have morphed into you know as long as everybody has a job that wants one. Uh, but there seems to be right. some more political mandates on the Federal Reserve as well. What do you think of the idea that you really, you know, that this money really isn't is trying to fix something that it can't fix? In other words, it's not really lack of money that's caused the economy to collapse so much last year and still down quite a bit. It's the fact that you know things are shut down, and maybe what we ought to do is, you know, maybe the answer is to open more up. Right. I think that's obviously the the case. And as things open up, there should be less demand on the uh, government to take care of things. But uh, again, the the pressure is very great there. But uh, again, not just uh, Larry Summers, but a number of people are talking about a kind of um, of, of uh, loss of discipline on the part of the Federal Reserve and that. The fact that um, most economists value an independent uh, monetary authority to uh, be able to do things that are not necessarily popular all the time. And it took uh, uh, some considerable pain back in the early 1980s to get infl- uh, inflation under control. And that, uh, surprisingly, has lasted uh, you know, 30 or 40 years now. And we've had, uh, in a sense, declining interest rates for several decades. But once that discipline uh, starts to um, lessen and maybe eventually evaporates, we could be back in the situation we were in the 60s and 70s. So I think there is is more concern now. But the question that we always you ask me sometimes, and some people call in, is when is the right time? And the answer for the politicians is sometime in the future, but not right now. So that's the question: When do we actually uh, start kind of uh, uh, trying to ring things in? Yeah, it just strikes me that just trying to throw money at this is not, it wasn't money that caused the problem. 
Uh, and I'm not so sure that's the answer. I mean, before the pandemic, you know, we had extremely low unemployment. You know, we had massive success at broadening the labor force, raising wages, things like that. Uh, and even for minority workers, you know, they were at all-time low unemployment rates. And it even seemed like wages, you know, for lower-wage workers were climbing faster than higher-wage workers. Um, but back then, the Fed wasn't even doing quantitative easing. The Fed funds rate was like one and a half to one and three quarters of a percent. And I just, I'm wondering if that doesn't suggest that we don't need near zero short-term rates to go where the Federal Reserve seems to want to go. But I guess that's debatable. Right, I, I that's debatable. That, yeah, moving up a little bit would be fine. But again, uh, there's still a lot of pressure given that the uh, uh, Democrats more or less control Congress, although the edge is pretty small in the, in the Senate. And again, uh, there were proposals for even uh, even the higher stimulus checks. And right now, there, there are things going on. For example, uh, some people want to uh, make the uh, unemployment compensation non-taxable. It's been taxable for several decades now because it's pretty much like other kinds of income. They want to get rid of that. There's also a bill now to, we've talked about uh, uh, college loans for some time now. There's a bill now to uh, potentially facilitate uh, forgiveness of some loans by not making people pay tax on the amount forgiven. So under the under the current laws, if the government decides to forgive uh, some of the uh, student loans, basically uh, federal loans, the people who get the forgiveness would have to declare that as as taxable income, which means they might have a tax bill almost as much as their their payments are are, um, right. are due. So that that very likely will change. So again, there's still a lot of, of momentum to uh, ease things up, and maybe the momentum will carry us uh, too far in that direction. Sure, strikes me that there's a risk that you know uh, an easing Fed, particularly at a time when we, when money does probably isn't the answer because unemployment wasn't caused by tight money; it was caused by other things. Uh, that it could create long-term problems, but I guess we'll we'll see how this all plays out. Um, yeah, we've talked to every almost every uh, show for the last show. It shows about the fact that even without uh, the stimulus, there's a lot of pent-up demand that's going to uh, have its way once things open up. So things like housing sales are really strong, and a lot of people are waiting to do a lot of things they haven't been able to do that provides a kind of uh, a private stimulus. So I think uh, there's a lot of pressure, not a pressure, but a lot of momentum in terms of uh, having the economy approve over the next several months, especially with the, uh, uh, the vaccination becoming more and more uh, widespread. Yeah. Now, it does uh, seem to me that President Biden might be uh, more friendly to Wall Street than maybe some might have thought. I mean, he didn't really uh, go hard on the a minimum wage. He does. He's kind of basically saying backing off the, you know, filibuster rule of eliminating that. And I think a lot of the things what he's doing reminds me a little bit of Bill Clinton in some ways. But, uh, but especially because I always felt like Larry. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, Robert Rubin seemed to handpick Bill Clinton for the presidency and definitely pro Wall Street. And of course, we had a wonderful Wall Street, you know, stock market boom in the mid to late 90s particularly i'm starting to think that maybe some of this rally we're seeing in the stock market if i'm just speculating isn't the fact that you know a lot of people are waking up to realize that president biden might be much friendlier to wall street than they might have hoped right and but again uh presidents can do so much that uh, they, they may be able to do some 
uh, positive things. But again, the, the economy itself has to carry Wall Street for the long run, not not the president or the Congress or anyone else. Is there any chance that the Illinois government, uh, you know, might use the moment in the excess cash to reduce spending, maybe implement reforms, uh, kind of fix its structural problems? I mean, what uh, zero to uh, ten chance, ten being certain? Uh, how likely is that, in your view? Uh, uh, pretty low, I think. Uh, I, I think we'll. There, there are two ways of, of uh, thinking about this. Are we going to fix the problem in some kind of uh, cosmic way? And the answer is uh, no. Are we going to uh, make our way through in a little bit better uh, outcome than we would have otherwise? I think the answer is yes. So I think we're uh, we're going to be better off than we would have been, but far from actually uh, actually solving our problems. I can. There's a story from Mexico uh, from uh, several decades ago, and they said there are two ways Mexico can. Uh, solve its uh, financial problem. One is to get their uh, economy under control. The other is for the uh, version of Guadalupe to come down from the mountain and solve all its problems. They said, unfortunately, it's more likely that the virgin will solve the problems as opposed to the, uh, the Mexicans doing it themselves. So that may be a little bit like, uh, like the uh, state of Illinois. So I suppose some people will get a great deal and a lot of us will get a raw deal. But uh, I guess we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Treasury yeah, yields. Deal, I mean, I, again, lots of people are, are not lots, but uh, a lot of people are saying, "Well, how come I'm not getting my uh, my stimulus check?" And the answer is because uh, you're doing pretty well. So I think for most people, they would prefer not to get the stimulus check and be in the category that uh, disqualifies them, which is high income. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny you mention that because yeah. just you know, this morning while we were having our coffee, my wife and I, um, you know, because. You know, I have family members that are going to be beneficiaries of the $1,400 a person. But I, I didn't realize when I read the statistics, like 93% of people will get some type of assistance in that $1.9 trillion, you know, the $1,400. So I told my wife, I said, yeah, it looks like we're in that 7% that isn't going to get any money. I said, exactly what you said. I said, but I think I'd rather be in that 7%. I don't mean this in a snobby way. I just mean in a realistic way is what you just pointed out then probably to get the money because it just again it means you're you know you're doing just fine um right yeah it seems pretty liberal to me and all of them have been when i looked all three uh distributions uh, since kind of the coronavirus issue uh they've all been you know somewhere around that 93 94 percent of the folks got some type of money from it um we yeah. definitely we're also, we're, go ahead we're also getting into that problem that you mentioned a number of times that uh, at some point it has to be better for people to go back to work than it is to rely upon unemployment and stimulus checks. But for uh, uh, not not a huge number, but a, a substantial minority of people, maybe are doing a little bit better now than they might have uh, if they were working. So that has to change at some point as well. Yeah, to be seen. It's definitely putting a lot of these things are putting pressure on interest rates. I mean, they're still really low. I mean, that's always kind of a sense of perspective. People get excited, but uh, but the 10-year Treasury not too long ago was, it, you know, well, it's pretty much doubled in the last, you know, three or four or five months. We have a 10-year Treasury yield now at around 1.6%. Um, the last time it traded at that range was quite some time ago. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think it was, you know, 2.6%. So, right. uh, you know, from a big picture, but... 
it was starting to spook Wall Street. So the pundit said, you know, now that uh, interest rates are ticking up, it puts more pressure on stocks. But uh, that seems to have relieved itself. Even the te- uh, yield on the 30-year Treasury bond now is at 2.31%. But still, from an historical perspective, that's really, really low, isn't it, Brad? Right. And also, I think, again, we're, I guess we may be uh, repeating ourselves, but the uh, repetition probably is important that a lot of the uh, the good things we expect to happen in the next few months have already been um, capitalized in, in, in uh, stock market prices. So again, just because things are going to be pretty strong in the economy for the next several months does not mean that the uh, stock market is going to take off and, and soar because of that, because most of the the, the, the good expectations have already been captured in, in asset prices. And that proved itself loudly last year when people were amazed, you know, when the stock market was, you know, it stopped going down as fastly as, you know, as fast as it went down, it started going back up. And I think that really, you know, a lot of people were scratching their heads wondering how the stock market could be rallying and going towards all-time new highs when the economy was still hurting and gets circles back to, as you said, things get priced in really quickly. The future gets priced in, maybe not accurately, but it certainly gets priced in fairly quickly. And I suppose some of this interest rate increase, the sudden interest rate increase, is probably some of this inflation expectation. Because if if inflation is expected to be higher, then I want to be compensated by higher yields in order to uh, take on that risk. And uh, that's clearly what's been happening. And of course, that drives bond prices down, which people probably have noticed and you know depending on the maturity of your bonds but uh you know over time higher interest rates you know are going to be fine for bond investors but in the near term they have to be prepared for potential declines in their bonds or bond fund prices people that own individual bonds aren't as sensitive because they can hold them to maturity but for some reason people in bond funds seem to be more sensitive uh seems like unemployment uh it fell to 6.2 percent so we're still making progress there but it looks like all, nearly all the gains came from the battered leisure and hospitality sector, which made up, I think, 355,000 of the 379,000 jobs. So it's still got a long way to grow. I guess it's still 3.5 million jobs short of its employment level a year ago. So that's really one industry that's been continues to take it on the chin. Right. Well, we got the, uh, as we said, the, the stimulus bill passed. Um, and I'm going to... I think this is going to have some impact on the stock market, uh, but when I get to another uh, survey from Deutsche Bank, uh, we'll get there in a minute, but looks like direct payments of up to $1,400. Most people are aware of this, but Ryan, I think when I came in the office yesterday and said, hey, looks like you and, the, and each kid will get $1,400, you, you didn't think, because there was talk for a while that dependent children wouldn't even get it, but it looks like it's part of that bill now. Um, Yes. Uh, so we're, we're seeing that, you know, there could be kind of like a, a double benefit. So you may get, you know, if things potentially hold, you may get the benefit for your children. And there's also an increase in the child uh, credit. So it raises the amount that um, you get an offset in your taxes for each child you have, plus a potential amount from the, the stimulus bill. So it's a double win. For you. For me. Not for me. <laughs> All you yes. need to do is have more kids right now, Paul, and you can win too. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm too old. I'm only 61. Um so, Fred, you mentioned this, and I guess in this plan, uh, let's see, Democrats settled on a plan to keep the current $300 per week jobless boost in place through September 6th while making the first 10200 in assistance tax-free. 
Uh, so there is an element to right. that. And I want to get to the survey, which I thought this was interesting because a lot of people wondered if some of that money, because our savings rate went through the roof and the U.S. savings rate went from like 4 or 5% to 30%. So a lot of this money that people received was not spent or consumed. And a survey from Deutsche Bank showed that half of the 25 to 35-year-old, 34-year-olds plan to spend 50% of their stimulus payment on stocks. A large, uh, a large amount of the U- uh, upcoming U.S. stimulus checks will probably find their way into equities. 18 to 24-year-olds plan to use 40% of any stimulus on stocks. 35 to 54-year-olds, 37% of their checks on the, into the equity market, which is, means the stock market. But over 55 say they'll put only 16% into stocks. And then they studied previous payments, and they showed that more than half 53% said they invested some of the stimulus money in the stock market, and it looks like young people were much more likely to have invested in the stock market uh, using those payments. Going forward, survey respondents plan to put a large chunk, 37% of any forthcoming stimulus checks directly into equities, and I think that's a sizable flow for Ed and Ryan. I, uh, I think maybe that's part and partial of what's going on in the broad stock market, which continues to make all-time new highs, and I think Except for the stock, uh, the Nasdaq market, people may have noticed a couple weeks ago. I said, "Are you ready for the for a correction or a bear market in the stock market?" And so far, really, the only thing that's been dinged has been the high tech, high flying stocks, Tesla, Apple. A lot of those have been really hit hard, and that's reflected in the Nasdaq index, which went into a full correction of ten percent or more uh, just a couple of days ago. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, there's also uh, a kind of interesting. Uh, perverse kind of outcome that actually been a, uh, an increase in bankruptcies among uh, very low income people. And the reason for that supposedly is that uh, prior to the stimulus, people couldn't afford to pay the cost of going into bankruptcy with legal fees and so on. And some people use their, their stimulus check to uh, not, not to bail themselves out, but to actually uh, take a step into bankruptcy. So it gets to a point where you can't even afford to go bankrupt. That's right. Uh, Ryan, on these stimulus payments, explain the cutoff because there. I know there were some changes at the last minute, uh, not quite as liberal as they were before. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of explain to people where that cutoff is and how it gets phased out, if you would. Yeah. So from the December January payment that went out, um, if you were a, a single household, I think the cutoff was. Um, $80,000 or so. Uh, once you have that adjusted gross income, you start losing out on payments. Um, for the for a family of like a, a married filing joint, for example, the cutoff was $200,000 in adjusted gross income. And then it went to zero if you were above that. Exactly. So the pretty, you know, in most people's eyes, probably very high, especially if you're in a, a joint household and maybe you only have a, a sole earner in that household. You have a lot of, of room to receive those payments. Uh, and so for this next round, it's what it's simply doing is it's cutting uh, the cutoff shorter. So instead of going all the way up to 200000 as that $0 amount that you'd receive in the benefit, it's stopping at 160000 So the cutoff zone goes from 150 to 160 whereas before it went from 150 to 200 So they're considerably shrinking down the, the amount of dollars you can earn um, and receive a benefit. But I think what was interesting is um, some of the studies show that in the previous surveys, about 94 or so percent of Americans were receiving a benefit under this new shrunken 
uh, down reduced number of people receiving benefits, it only drops the number to about 92% households. So there's only a 2% household drop-off between the last stimulant stimulus payment system and now this current one that's about to take effect. So, uh, you know, it, yes, it is doing potentially a better job in funneling dollars to folks who might have a little more need for it, but it's not like I think this giant win um, in terms of like really focusing it on the on the people who are most desperately or dire in more dire needs. But it probably does a good step in saying like, well, look what we did. And from a, a political standpoint, we did take a look at it and we didn't give all the money to, you know, the wealthy, which I think from a political standpoint, it looks better. Um, that was kind of my read of it. Maybe yeah. it's a cynical read. Um, it really doesn't materially change it. No. It does for about 7 million people. But from a perspective of how much money is going out, especially since they you know, included all dependent children. And what about, uh, is there any eligibility for uh, adult dependents, like college students? Yeah, that that got included this round, I believe. So in the previous rounds, it did not. Now with college students, you can claim those and get a, a benefit as well. So for, you know, presumably folks who might have, you know, children in college that may even still be living at home, there's, there's costs associated with having them there that maybe weren't before. And you get a, at least, you know, the, the worst, you get to claim them and get a, a little bit of a benefit. So just a few, like, nuance changes, I think. But So when is this supposed to hit people's from a, from a blocking and tackling standpoint? When do you think people should start expecting to see some indication that money's hitting their accounts? I think within the week we're going to start seeing that. I think that um, the bill was being signed in here, was it the 14th I was reading? I don't know if you've seen that, Paul. But I think uh, Biden has to sign it by the 14th. And I think he's planning on signing it today. Today even. Um, uh, from what I've been reading this, as far as this morning. Okay. And so for folks who, who've uh, received their payments by direct deposit in the past because you had your banking information on file from doing your tax returns, you'll receive those payments first because it's very simple just to wire money essentially. Uh, and then for folks who don't have uh, direct deposit set up, you'll just have a, a standard check like before. You know, just take a little longer, one a couple weeks potentially, for that to trickle down through the post office. And if people haven't filed their 2020 taxes, many people have not. I mean, how does that work from a, you know, what are they basing it on then? Uh, where they, do they go back to 2019? Is that how it works? Yeah, they're just going to look at the most recent tax return that's on, on file. So if you have yet to submit and complete and submit the 2020 tax return, it's going to be based on 2019. And so for some people, it might be better, some some not. It depends on the incomes that you had and maybe potentially losing a job last year versus the year before. Um, so so you if, know, you, in if, that, if in that scenario, if you lost your job in 2020 and maybe didn't qualify for as much or any yep. in 2019, you'd want to go you ahead get, and, and file your taxes right away. But even if you didn't, is there an ability to go kind of grab it the next you know the next time i think you can file an amendment and the amendment will show the difference in the in the payments between 19 and 20 and it shows that you would qualify under the the current guidelines so. right and i think i read something that uh you can even when you file your 2021 taxes there's going to be the ability to go back and get it if you show that even in 2021 you are below those thresholds i have verified that but it came from a pretty reliable source so it looks like they're being very liberal in, in allowing people to do things. For instance, if, if, you know, if you're going to file your 2020 taxes soon, uh, you know, there's going to be some, some thinking that needs to go on, like, well, maybe if you haven't 
put money in an IRA account, you put money in an IRA account to get your adjusted gross income. So there's going to be all, there's some thinking that needs to go, but it's not as if you blow it if you get it wrong. There's going to be quite a bit of flexible ability to go back and say, well, based upon further review, I should get another 300 or $400 or, or what, you know, things like that. I think the government's messaging is they're trying to put as much dollars into people's hands as they can, and they're giving as much leeway as they can to make those adjustments if you don't technically qualify now because they're looking at a 19 tax return, but 2020 you would have qualified by just whatever uh, your your income was for that year. So It would appear that what they're trying to do is, remember there was a lot of talk, even President Trump talked about people should get $2,000, mm-hmm. and they couldn't really come to that agreement on that, so they quickly sent out $600. It, it strikes me that this $1,400 is a kind of round that to $2,000. Exactly. And when you consider that if you look at a bulk or a large amount of money from the past two bills, uh, the ones prior to this, how much, you know, you saw the personal savings rate literally go up by two or three trillion dollars. I suspect that we're going to see the same. So once again, I, I, I'm kind of with Fred. I don't want to put a word in Fred's mouth, but it seems to me that this is, along with just the pure pent-up emotional demand uh, for to do things that we haven't been able to do, but it strikes me that there's going to be trillions of dollars of rocket fuel, <laughs> you know, sitting in checking and savings accounts. Uh, that's the money that doesn't go into the stock market, and I think think that's further fuel for the stock market. So, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's in business, a very successful business person, and he was kind of worrying about the economy. And I said, "Oh, I have just the opposite worry. I think we get into an overheated economy." Any chance, Fred? I mean, what? I don't know the last time we would say that we've had an overheated economy, but is there a chance that that we this all these trillions of dollars with the marrying up with the uh, pent up demand could put us in what some might classify uh, an overheated economy? No, you know, I, I think uh, that's possible. But again, we we were running uh, prior to the COVID. Uh, crisis, uh, we were operating uh, as if we were in a, a recession because we were spending huge amounts of money, having large deficits, uh, low interest rates before the bad times even came. So I, and there's a lot of, a, a lot, but certainly a potential there, but it usually takes some time to build up. Like in the 1960s, uh, we had uh, the two wars going on at the same time, the war on poverty and the Vietnam War. And early on, uh, no one wanted to the president and the Congress didn't want to stop either of them, and it took several years, and that was sort of, in some people's minds, the uh, advent of the uh, inflationary problems uh, the rest of the 60s and into the, the 70s. So again, it, it's not a kind of thing where all of a sudden you pass the, the uh, threshold and things go out of control. It's a gradual thing, but at some point you have to, have to, uh, have to get things under control. Let me make one other comment. That it, uh, usually we don't want to encourage people to delay, but uh, this may be a time uh, not to file your tax return for a little while because there may be some changes that are still passed, usually changes uh, only only apply right now or in the future, but there may be some changes in legislation that actually goes back to 2020. And if that happens, the, uh, it's very likely the um, a deadline is going to be, uh, could be extended beyond April 15th. And the IRS would actually have to halt processing for a while to reprogram their their operations. So it might save uh, people the, uh, the the necessity of filing an amended return if they wait a week or two and and see where the uh, 
where the Congress is going in this regard. I think that makes sense, especially since they seem to be liberal on the, you know, if, if you come up short, but then you can show upon further review that, you know. Yeah, usually usually uh, the IRS is hit with uh, changes in uh, December, and they have to reprogram everything to get going with the uh, filing season starting in the, the, the year following. But this year, uh, there are actually uh, proposals to not, not just change things for 2021, but to go back and change things for 2020, which would be a huge uh, problem for, for uh, tax preparers and for the, the IRS. So uh, having that uh, kind of settled in the next couple of weeks might be, uh, it might be a good idea to wait and see what happens. And if they do make substantial changes, very likely the uh, filing date will be moved back. But on the other hand, uh, people shouldn't count on that. This is, sure. Is at least a but from a practical standpoint, that makes sense. Uh, what about taxes on those stimulus payments, Ryan? Um, are, are people is that has that been settled? Yeah, that's settled, and, and that was something that was talked about last year. Is that these would be truly free payments, so that you wouldn't owe any taxes on any of that stimulus money that was sent out in the first two rounds, nor in this third round. Uh, so it's truly like you know, feel like money dropping out of the sky, and it's no tax burden, no no attachment to anything. Uh, so those dollars as spent don't get added into your taxable income for the year, almost as if it never showed up. Um, there, there is a difference, however, for the unemployment check. So um, under up until recently, we were under the impression, as, as all past law has been, that unemployment is uh, taxable income, both at the federal level and at the state level. Um, and so we had been expecting that that would be the case. And now there's this uh, provision in the bill that would allow for up to $10,000, $10,200 to be excluded. Um, I take it that's for future, you know, uh, starting now, uh, going into the future, or do you think even for 2020 taxes? I, ca- I couldn't really figure out if there's any, has any impact on 2020. I don't know if you have, Fred, but my read is. So I, I think it's, it's a possibility. That's one of the things I, I actually was, uh, talking about, but it, it's not in effect right now, but it's something that could uh, emerge from some of these bills. So that, that's why uh, it would be necessary to go yep. back. And, and people have gotten uh, you know, various kinds of 1099s and uh, W-2s and things of that sort that might, might not necessarily be correct if uh, these things change. Yep. So, so, so it's again, on the it's docket. A, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult situation for everyone because uh, filing an amended return is not a a pleasant kind of thing, uh, so you want to avoid that, but also you have to be prepared to file on time if, if nothing happens. So there's kind of a, a window here for the next two or three weeks when probably uh, something will be resolved and people can go forward based on that. Yep. So it, it's you're correct, and that was my reading as well, uh, Dr. Gertz, is that it's being discussed to be essentially retroactive for 2020, but again, it's not formalized yet. Uh, so. If we if we assume the worst case scenario uh, and it doesn't get approved in this in this bill, um, then you would owe uh, income tax on those unemployment dollars. And there's a form called the 1099G, uh, which is just a proof of all the income that was received from those unemployment payments. Um, and it was interesting. I was I was reading an article and it was showing how some states did have the ability to withhold uh, taxes from those unemployment uh, payments. Some didn't. Uh, some people declared a 10% withholding from those payments, and it only applied towards the regular amount and not the $600 additional bonus amount per week that was being given out through uh, the COVID relief package. And so if, for example, we do actually have to pay full 
um, income or full in, uh, tax on this uh, these payment streams, people who even thought that they were deferring 10% on every check are going to still probably have a knowing amount because a lot of states didn't do it, and those that did didn't always apply it to that that $600 additional amount. I wonder if I'm the only person, the only weird person that thinks it's really weird that a couple that makes 120000 or 130 or 140000 is going to get another $2,800. To me, that just doesn't reconcile in my brain. I mean, you would think that that some people would be fighting mad over that. Pe- right. You know, people with lower income people would just scream about that because I think it's, frankly, I think it's a lot of people's dream to make six-figure income, uh, let alone to think about those people as being, I'm not, I'm not really passing judgment. I'm just, I'm just, it seems like every client I've talked to, um, and they all have pretty high incomes, but most of them below 150000 I think they feel almost strange about getting the money. I'm not suggesting they should. I, I'm just talking about, you know, kind of some of the feelings I'm getting. And, as, and Dr. Fred, you've said it many times, you know, when you do things quickly, you're, you know, that's, that's bound to happen. But I'm just wondering how, how that even got, who th- how it even could even get remotely that high. Well, I think one uh, possibility is that this is obviously not targeted to people in deep distress. Uh, and so the goal here is not necessarily to relieve distress, but to stimulate the economy. So the argument would be, even though the $125,000 person is not uh, in uh, great need of assistance, that money will end up uh, stimulating the economy in some way or another. The problem with that is that uh, people in those categories probably have a higher propensity not to spend the money, use it for savings or other other right. purposes. But at least I think that's the, that's the goal. So again, uh, I think I said it last time, you can, you can do it quick or you can do it right, but you can't do it uh, uh, both at the same time. So I think they've chosen the, the quick rather than the, uh, the precise targeting of the, of the aid. We're going to go to a call here in a minute, Fred, but you know, it seems it doesn't seem like money is the problem for the economy. There's trillions of dollars sitting in excess savings and uh, checking accounts. It strikes me that until we open things up, that that money is just going to follow the same path and is not going to be, you know, stimulative right. at all. Well, I think we can uh, kind of learn a lesson from the COVID thing. Uh, now we have the vaccine, but we can't figure out how how to get it to people. And there are ways to get it really quickly, but then we end up, well, we have to be concerned about this group or that group or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, what do we do with the leftover and so on? So it shows that uh, uh, government planning is not uh, not easily done. And, and I re- obviously they're, they're doing their best, but best is not necessarily uh, very fast. Okay. We're going to go to Skip on line one. Skip, how are you today? Good morning, guys. I always enjoy listening to you. Uh, I wanted to follow up. I'm not in that 7% thing, but I did want to say this. Um, uh, fortunate to be able to be retired and have a decent income. Uh, and frankly, uh, why I appreciate getting the money, uh, frankly, I would much rather see that money go to people who really need it a lot worse than I do. And it um, um, you know, I, I, I have a hard time, I guess, obviously I'll accept to put my savings or something, but I have a hard time with, uh, with, uh, 
you know, a couple making over a hundred thousand dollars, uh, you know, being able to get those payments. I really think that money should, could be used, uh, you know, for lower income people or people who, you know, really, really need the money. I'm just curious what you have to say. Well, I mean, that's, I guess that was where I was trying to get to. It strikes me that, you know, in any town you could probably have a group of people that are really plugged into who's hurting and who isn't. That probably sounds goofy, but in other words, I think it could be much more targeted, even with, even with, with speed. Uh, do, you, do you think, and I'm not suggesting you should feel guilty, but is there an element of guilt in, in getting that money, Skip? Well, I mean, I think a, I mean, I think a little bit because I feel blessed uh, to be able to be in the position that my wife and I are in. Obviously, a lot of people have more money than we do, but but you know, at this particular point, um, I, I just get sometimes frustrated, you know, with the government and the way they handle things and do things. And I just frankly, um, it's you know, is it going to be a plus for us to have that money? Well, sure it is. But on the other hand, would it be much more help to people who really need it? Yeah, I think so. And so, so uh, if there's a little bit of dismay or guilt, I think, yeah, I think uh, at least you have to think about it. Yeah, and I, and I really, I was not implying that there should be any guilt at all. I was just, just asking sure. a curi- curiosity question, just from a psychological standpoint, if that was the sure. case. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can give, I give a possibility of... Uh, a way of assuaging your, uh, your guilt. Uh, uh, maybe you want to save that for your future tax bills. Uh, put, your, <laughs> put your stimulus check away and use it to pay when the, when the tax bill comes in in future years. Yeah, because this is, you know, this what? isn't money plucked from the air. I mean, this is money that ultimately has to get paid back with future tax dollars. I well, think. and I, and I guess, man, here's a little bit on the guilt routine, though, at, you know, and again, hopefully that I can keep living, but at this point, you know, I, I'm in, uh, I'll be 77 in July, so when some of that stuff comes along, uh, you know, I, I may not, I may not be around, but again, I feel bad for the younger people, the grandkids, because somebody eventually is going to pay for this. Well, know? I mean, that has to be the case, right, Fred? There's no free lunch. Yes, yeah. The question is when, but obviously the answer is yes. All right. We're, uh, thanks sure. for calling, Skip. Appreciate you, your input. We're going to go to Tom on line three. Tom, how are you? Hi. Yes, um, sir. I I remember in the eighties, uh, everybody was very concerned about the money supply, and they used to watch it, you know, on a weekly basis, and they'd have huge markets, huge moves in interest rates just on. You know the money supply that was released, money supply numbers that were released every week. Um, it seems like the money supply has uh, the U.S. has really increased dramatically, and uh, there doesn't seem to be any concern about it. Um, and I guess when when they started doing QE, I kind of looked at it and I said, you know, that's just a, an inefficient way of printing money. You know that they're 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 to issue debt and then buy it back, then all you're really doing is just printing money. I, would you agree with that? What do you think, Fred? Well, again, uh, printing money is a euphemism for printing or borrowing or whatever it might be. But I, in essence, it's correct. But we're in this kind of uh, unusual world where inflationary pressures have really uh, receded over the last decade or more. So. 
the uh, Federal Reserve has the um, luxury, at least temporarily, of being able to uh, have you know close to zero interest rates and not have to worry very much about inflation. Now, this is not a world that's going to continue forever, but for right now, they have more degrees of freedom than they had in the past. So I think that's exactly right. There was a lot of concern back in the uh, 80s and to a certain extent in the 90s about you know how um, how loose can the monetary policy be without reigniting inflation. But right now we have this kind of respite from reality that, that seems to be allow, at least in the short run, to do things that uh, couldn't have been done in the past. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you if you print this much money, then the dollar should theoretically become weaker. But if every country across the world prints money, then doesn't the just the sea level just rise and the boat just, you know, kind of equally go up? What do you think, Fred? Well, well we, the United States has both the uh, responsibility of, and burden of being uh, having a currency that's kind of the worldwide standard. So we can do things that uh, Argentina or, you know, places that have, uh, have a, a dubious kind of record in terms of their, their economy that cannot do because people do have a kind of faith in the in the uh, U.S. dollar, uh, maybe less so in the past, but again, it's not a question of how strong it is, is how strong it is compared to other countries, and it's still very strong. So I think we can do things, uh, in a sense, get away with things that uh, that other countries couldn't do. So again, that's good news uh, in the short run, but it may be kind of bad news if we lose the discipline that we, we need to have to, to keep things under control over the long run. Fred, I think part of this is this, you know, the new monetary theory, uh, modern monetary theory, is if you can just print money as much as you want, literally without any negative impacts. Um, it seems like we're moving closer to that direction uh, right. each well, day. Right. Well, I think that, that people, may, you know, people may not uh, be familiar. There's a term, modern monetary theory, uh, it says basically uh, – don't worry about taxes. Don't worry about borrowing. Just spend as much as you you uh, think is uh, necessary, and th- there'll be no consequences. Well, again, modern monetary theory is not uh, has not been developed by Nobel Prize winners. It's it's kind of a French idea that's supported that's pushed by uh, economists who probably are not uh, particularly substantial in terms of their of their uh, uh, record in terms of uh, research or policy or whatever. But, but in reality, what we have is a, is a temporary situation, maybe a, a matter of months or years, where modern monetary theory may actually be appropriate. But eventually, uh, as we said many times today, we're going to come back to reality. So it's not really a, a theory about uh, not having to do anything ever about uh, discipline, uh, higher interest rates, uh, less spending. It's just it's a kind of temporary respite from that, and the modern monetary theory people think it can go on forever and i think almost all economists say no it can't we have to get back to uh, more normal kind of situations eventually i think tom and i and anybody with an adult memory we still i guess we probably still have the scars of the 70s and very early 80s uh i don't know about you tom would that be the case that you can you remember quite well oh i remember when interest rates you know we, we had the prime rate at 21 percent yeah, and and if people. I can, remember when Carl Hospital issued tax-free municipal bonds at fifteen. Yeah, I remember that too. 
Uh, and I, that's what I was talking to some of the younger folks at the station this morning about inflation because the question came up. And you quickly realize that there's a complete disconnect between someone in their 20s, 30s, or even 40s, some in their 50s. There's just no historical backdrop for for an appreciation of what a devalued dollar, what what the chaos that that can create. I may be over-exaggerating uh-huh. it, Fred, but, uh, you know, I, I, I feel still – it's still fresh enough in my mind, and I really didn't have any money at stake at that time. I was trying to figure out how to kiss girls in high school. But I sure remember, you know, coming out of college in 1982 was not a great time to come out of college. Right. And again, uh, it's not just a matter of saying, well, um, uh, interest rates are too low. We're going to put up a little bit and, and get back to normal. The, the story from the uh, late 70s, early 80s is you have to have a shock, and the shock is very painful. So you can't just say, okay, we're, we're going up from uh, 1% to 2%, everything will be fine. Once the inflationary pressure starts to build, you have to have a, a kind of uh, excess uh, um, uh, in terms of uh, strategy in order to try to get things under control again. And again, the uh, early 80s was a very painful time because we still had the, the leftover inflation and in addition to that we had the uh, tightness in, in terms of uh, monetary policy yeah it seems to me fred once the the psychology of inflation kicks in and that is we all begin to expect higher inflation in the future troublesome higher inflation it almost seems like that psychological impact uh has more to do with the problem than the inflation itself uh thanks tom yeah, and it has to be broken yeah thanks tom uh, yeah, Ryan. Yeah, I was going to say one comment, just kind of going. You can't back. talk about inflation. You're not old enough. I'm not, so I'll stay out of the arena. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not one who had to think about a 16% mortgage rate uh, when I was going to buy my first home. Uh, but going back to Skip's call and his question about you know maybe feeling like he he has the slight bit of guilt um, that maybe he received money and he doesn't need it and he's doing better than others. I've had the same conversation with clients, and for them, their remedy was well, I may donate some of that to a local charity where they're actually doing direct work with folks, maybe like the the soup kitchen over in Urbana, for example. Is that what you're doing? Uh, I'm not doing that, but I might <laughs> I might be doing some donations in the form of college funding for my kids. Um, well, if you can't put your son-in-law in the heat, <laughs> who can you tease? I'm used to the burner. But uh, the, point, the point remains is, you know, there are very easy ways where if you feel like you want money to get into the right hands, the folks that really need it, you don't have to look far beyond your own community to, to make a, a small donation or a, a partial donation of the money you may have received. Or maybe you put it in your grandchildren's 529 plan or you put it in a grandchild that's working and has a little income over the summer and you match their earnings in a Roth IRA for their long-term future. I mean, so I guess it doesn't have to get spent. And, there, and by, by all means, nobody should feel guilty. It's just the rules are I'm receiving a check. So mm-hmm. I'm not for a minute. I don't want anybody to think they should feel guilty. But when you start thinking about the creative juices that could flow and the, some things that if you if you really weren't, you know, don't need the money and weren't counting on it, can't spend it, um, you know, gifting isn't a bad idea either to institutions that, you know, dearly need it. And uh, hey, they're trying to kick us off. Well, thanks for listening to Paul Rudy's On The Money Radio Show. We'll be back in two more weeks. Time will be different then. We're going to get the change of time this weekend. Don't forget to set back your clocks. Dr. Fred Gertz, thanks for uh, being on the show today. Thanks for the calls, guys. And thanks, Ryan Repko. We'll be back in two weeks. 
Join us for the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for Paul Rudy's On the Money. Views expressed represent those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the station. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.